Well, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Amen. God is a good God. Hallelujah. Sunday morning, we'll be starting a new series. What are we going to talk about? I don't know. But I know something is stirring on the inside of me, and I believe God will give us something that we can live by and glorify him through. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. We've started a series on the gifts of the Spirit. These gifts certainly could not have been done away with or there would not be instructions how to govern them, how to keep order in them, and a list of them and an insight to them. If they were done away with, then the Scriptures would not have to define us or instruct us in it. Could have given an amen. For, so for the simple fact that they are in the Bible and listed tells us that they are relevant for today because we can't take anything away from the Word. We can't add anything to the Word. At least we would be cursed by God. So we want to make sure that we just stick with the Bible. Whether we understand it, whether we grasp it all, God is still true. Amen? So in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, and we'll look at verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts. Brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. You know that ye were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man can speak, no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, therefore, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administration, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation, the unveiling, the activity, or the demonstration of these of the Spirit is given to every man every man to profit with all or to bless or cause his life to be successful. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that the one and the selfsame spirit dividing to every man severally as he wills. Now there are nine gifts, <coughs> excuse me, there are nine gifts of the spirit that verify, confirm, and establish the identity of Jesus and, ex and explain or expound or show openly the identity of God. Every gift that the, the gifts of the Spirit in our life unveil an unseen God to the world. There are nine fruits of the Spirit in the believer's life in the, uh, Galatians 5, on down, 
And those fruits identify the believer as being a Christ or being Christ-like. And so different gifts and different fruit do different things. The gifts of the Spirit are used by every man. The fruit of the Spirit is nurtured, grown, and developed by every man. So they, everything that is on the inside of us is put in us in seed form. The kingdom is a seed process. Mark the fourth chapter, verse 26. So don't get discouraged if things don't happen overnight. Just know that there is a process. Let the process work and the fruit or the change will come. Now, when we talk about the gift of prophecy, the gifts, nine of them, are divided up usually, typically, traditionally in three classes. One is the three revelatory gifts, something that is revealed. This has to do with the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge and the discerning of spirits. These are revelatory. In other words, this is a revealed knowledge and awareness that only comes from God. And then there are three power gifts. The power gifts do something, change something, manifest something. They're really like an intervention of God into the course of a natural disease or a course of a natural event, but God intervenes and changes it. And that is the gift of faith, the working of miracles, and the gifts, plural, of healing. And then there are three vocal gifts. These three vocal gifts uh, entail gift of prophecy, diverse kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of those tongues. So when we see that prophecy is in one of these vocal gifts, these are the most controversial, most problem-causing, most divisive, and most manipulative of any of the gifts by human beings. The gifts are pure. The gifts are right. But every man that uses them may not be. Amen? And so we can run into error simply because of the heart, the intent, and the motive of an individual. That's why that when we see churches putting away tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy, really what they're trying to do is to avoid problems. Because lots of Christians, not, not we say lots, not all, but they will misuse these gifts, trying to get points of cross. And because the pulpit does not stand correct and rebuke and give instruction with all long suffering, which we are commanded to do, then what happens is these gifts perpetuate in weirdness. They just get weird. Pretty soon someone is up front and they're bringing forth a tongue interpretation, a tongue or prophecy. The next thing you know, they're walking through the congregation during worship service. And you say, well, well, well they got the gift of prophecy. The order is we're going to worship the Lord. And when order is set from the pulpit, I mean order is set. If I say we're going to pray, we're going to pray. 
I don't, ask, I don't want you to sing. We're going to pray. Somebody has to order the service. The Bible says, let everything be done decently and in order. Well, you act like a, a, a tyrant. You act like, well, it doesn't much matter what I act like. I am the shepherd of this house. And there's a reason I have a stick. And you don't. Now, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to be real. Because there are wolves that will rise up among you. What is a wolf? A sheep with a change of, of uh, appetite. That's all that it is. Now, and so when an order is set, it is set. And when you uh, misuse that gift or when liberty is given to you in a house to use that gift. Now, the order of our service is you have a tongue, interpretation of tongue or prophecy. Be just because of the size of the congregation, we have a place right up here where a microphone is handed and it may be asked to you, what is it concerning? So that they can determine whether it's a word of encouragement or a word of prophecy or just something you think people should know. And that happens. So we have to sift through that and choose or discern what is God and what is not. But sometimes when you give liberty, starting in the verbal gifts, people take liberties too far. Then they start going around disrupting the worship service. The last thing I want in a worship service is somebody tapping me on the arm, giving me a word from God. Amen? That's not the order of the service. And I have joined my faith with my congregation and my family of faith right here in the household of God. And I just don't want you disrupting. So when somebody tries to do that, since you know the order of the service, kindly turn to them and say, you know what, if you have something to say to me, please see me after the service and we'll go to pastor and you can tell me. They'll probably get unanointed. And then after it's done in the congregation, it's done in the foyer. And then people are prophesying with nobody to judge. And everything has to be judged. He that is spiritual proves all things. So I'm not trying to be carnal. I'm not trying to be controlling. I am moving into a place of spirituality, maturity. And you have to protect people from the erroneous misuse of things of God. Amen? And so you can call me bad dog. You can call me whatever you will. Well, it's just going to be the way that the Bible says it's going to be. And you know that if you've been here for four or five years, you know I mean that we're going to obey the Word. If the Word says three times, it's going to be three times. Amen? It's not going to be five, not going to be six, not going to be seven. It's going to be three. I had a, a couple in the church come and said, oh, man, Pastor, we went to a great church the other day. Man, it was so exciting. They had 12 prophecies. I said, you, evidently, you was at the nut farm. They said, what do you mean? It, oh, it was so spiritual. I said, it was stupid. I said, it was carnal. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three, it says, and let them prophesy at the most of two or three. It said that if you have a tongue and interpretation, let it be done by two or three and let one interpret. Come on, you was in the nut house, hallelujah. They was in the, and people think that's spiritual. That's stupidity. Amen. Yes, hallelujah. 
Praise God. So you have to govern these things because they are the most misused gifts. Now I'm going to give you an example. Let's go to Acts, the 20th chapter. Acts, the 20th chapter. I'm sorry, it's Acts 21, I think. Acts 21, and uh, before we do that, let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, and uh, yeah, Acts, no, no, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, verse 3, 4, and 5. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, 4, and 5. And it said, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied, for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with unknown with tongues, except that he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Notice the word church. So a prophecy is not so much as giving an individual as it is enhancing or edifying the assembly. Could again amen. Now, so we, we have the gift of prophecy that is in activity, and we want to encourage people to do it. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to grow like we all do, and we still do, and we still are. And then it says, here is a misuse of the gift. Remember what prophecy does. Prophecies edifies, comforts, and exhorts. It does not attempt to teach. It does not attempt to correct. It does not intend to lead. Well, where did that come from? Right there. Right there. And if I don't hear it, then it's not going to get said. Now, you may tell me what, what you think I should do, but I'm going to do what I'm going to stand before God comfortable with. If I listen to everybody in here, this would be a zoo. And I'm just telling you, on any given week, everybody's trying to tell me how and what God told them to do and what they should do. I mean, everything from opening doors to taking money to praying for the sick. Everybody's got a word. But there's only one person Amen. that gets to hear what God says and gets to carry it out in this congregation. Amen. And that's me. That's me. So when, when, when you get these things, it's not that they're great ideas, but they're going to have to gel. They're going to have to flow, and they're going to have to be witnessed, and you're going to have to have it judged. Amen. But on any given day, I'm just telling you, this church could be reformed and made a zoo out of all the opinions that I get. Now, look, I'm not condemning you for your opinion. You say, oh, Pastor, you know it's me. No, I forget your name. I'm only thinking of one person. I really am. I'm only thinking of one. 
but the rest of you I'm not remembering. But I'm fully aware of all the things that you write and tell me how to do it and all that kind of stuff. But just save your paper. Praise God, because I'm not going to do it unless God... The thing you need to do is pray that God would speak to me. Because I'm just, I'm not Balaam. I don't let donkeys talk to me in, in, in secret places. Hallelujah. And it just ain't going to do it. I like talking to people. People and God. Hallelujah. And so we realize that order has to be set. Every church is different. You understand? Paul told Titus, set in order that which is lacking. Too many churches want everybody else to be like them. I'm not like them. If you haven't noticed, I'm not like them. Well, they got five services. I don't care. I'm not them. People want me to have Brownsville. This isn't Brownsville. This is Bakken. You want Brownsville? Move to Florida. But I'm not moving Florida to here. Why? I don't want Brownsville outcome. I want just what I have. And if God, when God invades, he will, then guess what? It'll be the way that God wants it. But I don't want everybody. Do I call you, Philip, and say, Philip, you ought to do everything like I'm doing here in this church. I ever told you to do that? Absolutely not. I don't tell Daniel to do that. I don't tell any of our campus pastors to do that. Why? I expect them to hear from God. And if I'm constantly treating them like a bunch of little babies that can't hear from God, trying to pull their strings like a puppet, they're going to be nothing but mimickers, and they'll never truly be men and women of God. Amen. Look, God orders this house, and this house is different than any other house. That's why they make different houses. Amen. Hallelujah. But people go, they think, they hear, they experience, they feel, then they want to bring that here. No. You can't bring it here. It belongs wherever you were. Amen. Amen. So you just stuck with us or someplace else. But you can't change the world to fit every church that you've been in. You know, well, the church that I used to go used to do this. <laughs> Why'd you leave it? Yeah, come, you know. Sometimes common sense is far more worth, worth more than all the Holy Ghost things you hear. Just, just common sense would derail 90% of the foolishness in the church. Yeah. So here's what happens to Paul. And it says in Acts 21, verse 1, And it came to pass that after we had gotten uh, from them and had landed and had launched, I'm sorry, we came with a straight course unto Coos, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence to Patia. Is that it? Pat Patia. Patra. And uh, finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. And now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left, it on, we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Ty, Tri, and for there the ships was to be unladen of her burden. 
and finding certain disciples, we tarried there seven days. Who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem? And when we had accomplished those days, we departed, and we went our way. And they, and they all besought us on our way, brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled and prayed on the shore, and we kneeled on the shore and prayed. Now, these men tell Paul he should not go where? To where? To where? Okay, let's go over to Acts, the 20th chapter, and let's look at verse... Hmm. Let's go to verse 20. 22, I'm sorry. And it says this, And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem. Somebody say bound. That means he is shackled as a prisoner. He has a commission. God has unveiled something to him. Not knowing the things that shall befall me, save that the Holy Ghost uh, witnesseth to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me or wait for me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my uh, life dear, Sorry, there, I lost my place. Unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. He understands he's going to die. But he says, I go bound by the Spirit. In fact, Paul says that Jesus appeared to him and spoke these words to him. As you have testified of me here in Rome, so shall you testify me of me in Jerusalem. So we know that Paul heard from God. We know that God has, as it were, shackled him or imprisoned him because he told him what to do. It'd be great if people would get that mindset. If God tells you something to do, you're bound to it for life. Amen? All right. Now, the next reason that I know that these guys in uh, verse 1 down through 5 missed it, if you'll go over to verse 11. Verse 11. I'm sorry, I lied to you. Verse 10. Uh, Acts 21.10. You went verse 20, didn't you? Okay. Uh, Acts 21 and verse 10. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. Remember, there is a difference between a prophet and the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy does not make a prophet. Okay? One is a gift. One is a call. So they're entirely two different things, though some would say that they're the same. You are not a prophet just because you can prophesy. And it says, And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, 
so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girl. Now, number one, he must not know who it belongs to because he says whosoever girl this is or belongs to, this is what's going to happen. So he must not have talked to Paul and he must not have known Paul. But the others had talked to Paul, knew Paul, and knew his plan. Amen? All right. So there's a little difference there. And it says, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind that man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Why would you convince somebody not to do what God wants you to do? Now, what is the difference of the prophet's office confirming something and the gift trying to manipulate somebody? Both of them were done under the guise of the Spirit. Under the guise of the Spirit. One was a manipulation and misuse of the gift. That's in the first five verses. Those men tried through the Spirit, mimicking or mocking the gifts, tried to get Paul to abort his journey that Jesus had given him personally. Personally. And it was, uh, of course, Paul was strong enough to say, no, I'm not going to go. No, I'm not going to go. So he stayed his course. And then a prophet comes along and confirms that Paul has made the right choice thus revealing to us that those that through the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, tried to manipulate Paul were totally out of the boundaries of God's purpose and were out of the boundaries of using the gift, trying to mimic an office. So we have to be careful of that. And if you look over there uh, to verse 8, Acts 21 and verse 8, it says this, And the next day we, were on, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we, were, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist. Philip the Evangelist, we see, started his uh, office of evangelism in Samaria where he had the great revival. He came out of Samaria by the Spirit of the Lord to a desert place, joined himself to the eunuch of the queen of Ephesus, and that was Philip's story. Next time we pick him up is right here in this 21st chapter. And it says that he has, that Philip came, the evangelist, which, which was one of the seven abode with us. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy did prophesy now it didn't say that they tried to change paul's mind they prophesied so what would prophecy entail what would prophecy entail if it edifies comforts and exhorts what would it entail what would be allowable a prophet will foretell something but prophecy confirms something. 
but in its confirming other gifts come into the gift of prophecy. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. And let's look at verse 23. 1 Corinthians 14, 23. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, wilt thou not say that they are mad? But if all prophesy, and there will come in one that believeth not or unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Notice these little phrases. He will have the secrets of his heart revealed. Not the plan and the purpose and the secret things of God. A prophet does that. Prophecy does not. So, but prophecy must be enabled or empowered to confirm things that are in a man's heart. So that would involve a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge of what God has been dealing with him on, what he is going through, or what God has already said to him. But see, once God says it, it's yours. It is yours. When God called me to pastor, I have a gift, an office of pastor. Doesn't belong to God. God gave it to me. Oh, oh, how could you say such a blasphemous thing? Well, I'll repeat it. It doesn't belong to God. God gave it to me. Now, the reason he gave this office to me is now I'm accountable. Now I have to use this office with integrity, purity, love, right intent, and motive, and be fruitful with it. If I prove myself unfruitful, then John, the 15th chapter, says that Jesus will cut me off. Amen? He'll cut me off and I'll end up on a burn pile. First John, I mean John 15, 1 through 7. So now God gives us a gift and a calling. It's not his. He just gave it to you. It's like Jesus says, behold, I give you all power over serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the devil. But as soon as the devil comes in, we get like Paul, and we start beseeching God to deal with the devil. And God would say, look, my grace is sufficient for you. When I gave you all power over the devil, that means I gave you all power. But see, we don't understand this stuff. We, we, we live as Christians for years. We just never, ever adapt to what God is telling us. I was a, teaching a young man, and 
before uh, I sent him to another country how to cast out deaf devils. And I was working with two of them. And uh, I said, uh, now, now just put your fingers in your ear, their ear and command that devil to come out. The first one said, oh, God, in the name of Jesus. I was in, in front of a church of about a thousand people. I said, shut up. Just shut up. He turned and looked at me and said, oh. And I said, now put your fingers back in your ear and cast the devil out. So he puts his fingers in there and says, oh, God Almighty. I, I said, you just don't get it, do you? What, what, what? Uh, uh. I said, you are not supposed to ask God to cast out devils. You cast out devils. So the next one I taught, he got it just like that. Now he's in other countries building orphanages, holding miracle crusades, some of the biggest crusades that the Czech Republic have ever had. Just packing out big buildings and stadiums. Why? Because he did what he's supposed to do. The other, right beside him, just kept thinking it was God's problem. No, it's not God's problem. It's your problem. Amen? When you're dealing with sickness and disease, it's you against the sickness. It's not God do this or God do that. No, it's between you and the sickness. Jesus said you would lay hands on the sick. In fact, he got real emphatic in, John the, in uh, Matthew the 10th chapter and said, when you go into the sick, into a city, heal the sick that are therein. Heal them. I'm not asking you to play with them. I'm not asking you to pray. I'm telling you, get them healed. Cast out their devils. Raise their dead and cleanse their lepers. Freely you have received, now freely give. So it's really not between God and sickness. Sickness is a battle between you that sickness and its author. God's given you the power. Amen? And so you have to do whatever you have to do to loose that in your life. But it's not between God and the sickness. God's already provided for you. What more could he do? By his stripes, you have been healed. He's taken sickness out of the midst of thee. How did he do it? By giving you healing, Philip. Amen. Now, so God is not involved in, in sickness. He was involved in providing healing. Amen. But now it's your job to take it, to inherit it, to live it, to experience it. But it's not in God's court at all. Amen. That might seem like... A trivial thing but it's a powerful thing amen it's a powerful thing I, n I never get into a place and you know somebody's crippled or something I say well God raised this man up no absolutely not you devil absolutely it wasn't God amen all right so here we see that prophecy to edify comfort and exhort David will have like a word of knowledge It'll, be, it'll repeat things or make available things that are in your heart that God reveals to me that gives birth to a new place of faith in you. And then the confirmation is only God would know this. 
And so that's the gift that does that. The office tells or foretells of things that are going to happen. When Agabus come down, he told of a famine, a drought that was going to come. And all of the church at Jerusalem believed him and gave towards that drought, even though it was still raining. But because the prophet said it, the church rallied behind it. And the, one of the things that the devil does through the misuse of these gifts, and the misuse of these gifts is found in the works of the flesh. It's found in witchcraft. Witchcraft is a manipulation. Using something to get people to end up where you want them to be because you think it's right. Yeah. Your job is not to lead everybody. Your job is just to serve the Lord and to help people. But you can't take control over people. Amen? All right. So we understand that the secrets of their heart will be unfolded. But if a person gets into the flesh or is not led of the Spirit, their intent and motive becomes wrong, guess what they do? They get into the works of the flesh. And that is witchcraft, manipulation in order to get people to conform to what you think is right. Now, let me say this. You can't prophesy people into the area of doing something that God has not spoken them to. You can, but it'll not be profitable to them or to you. We have to make sure that we let God be Lord of their life. Amen? Jesus is the one that leads them. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So the gift of prophecy can edify, comfort, and exhort. It does that by reaffirming or confirming what is in the human heart by their relationship with God or what's been going on in their life. God unveils that so that they can believe. All right? Once they believe, then their faith will rise up and they'll move out. Now, let's go to uh, 1 Timothy 1, and we're going to wrap this up. 1 Timothy 1, and some of you, I'm sure, have never even heard of the gift of prophecy. But it is a gift that edifies, comforts, and exhorts the church. And it needs to be used. It just needs to be governed by the laws of God not by the laws of man. First Timothy, and I think it's, oh, let me see. Is it verse uh, 14 where it says, the gift that was given to thee by the Holy Ghost, by the laying on of hands, by the presbytery, is it 1 Timothy 1? Now, where is that, Philip? You said, told me it was. Where? 414. There you go. That's it. Yeah. Thank you, David. Uh, yeah, Philip, why didn't you help me? All right. Uh, and in 1 Timothy 414, it says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee which was given thee by what? 
given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Now, why does Paul say given to thee by the gift of prophecy? This gift of prophecy here doesn't have to do with the gift of prophecy. It has to do with the office of the prophet. The presbytery, which we really don't see too much of today, is made up of people that are recognized as certain people that hold offices in the body of Christ. A presbytery is made up of churches that are in fellowship with a church. There may be a prophet in one church that comes to a church and prophes- uh, ministers and teachers and so forth. There may be an apostle, an evangelist, a teacher. These offices make up a presbytery. And so when, this, when they come and Timothy is, says that the gift that these gifts were given to him by prophecy, that is the office of the prophet. Okay? And it, so here, and then it says, and after these are given to thee, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly unto them, that the, thy profiting may appear unto, me, uh, unto all. And it says, take heed unto thyself, and unto the doctrine continue in them, for in doing so thou shalt both save thyself and, and they that hear them. Now, let's go to, is it, boy, let me see where it is. Now, I'm going to go into fighting a good warfare. You say, well, didn't you study this out? No. <laughs> I know it. I'm just, hallelujah, trying to find it. Okay. What is it? 118. Thank you, scholar. One eighteen. Is that in Second Timothy? Hmm. First Timothy one eighteen. Gee, many right down the pipe there. All right. First Timothy one eighteen says this: This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before thee, that thou by them might war us a good warfare. Prophecies. Now, first of all, what would the prophecies do? Number one, if it was the office of the prophet, which probably was happening because Paul was a prophet, he establishes what God wants to do. Other prophecies would come along and confirm what God had already spoken to Timothy thus revealing the secrets of his heart and him acknowledging God was in those people. Now, when that happens, we hold those things fast and fight the fight. Somebody say a fight. Now, that tells you that whenever God gives you, has been speaking to you something, Philip, and a a prophecy comes forth and confirms it, there's a reason that it's being confirmed. The reason it's being confirmed is faith is being added to the faith that you have, Philip, so that you can rise up and fulfill that which God has put in your heart. So immediately the battle is going to start. Now the battle is going to start. So what do you do? You remember those prophecies. Remember those prophecies. There are people that will prophesy to me 
And I say, boy, that's great. Why? Because it didn't confirm anything in my heart. And if it's not in my heart, then the gift of prophecy cannot put it there. It's totally out of its balance. But it sounded so good. I know that I had goosebumps. But I don't walk by sight. I walk by faith. And so when it didn't bear witness, not even bear witness, didn't, well, I felt good about it. <laughs> no, it has to have been there. The secrets of your heart. It's not a, he's not looking for a good feeling. You can't be convinced or wooed by emotions. You can't be, well, it bore witness with me. No, did God say it before? No, then it's not prophecy, it's manipulation. But if it is prophecy, then hallelujah, you can fight with that. You can write it down and say, this is what God confirmed to me on that day. Amen? God can do that. But we don't want to be so weak that we allow people to add stuff through witchcraft or add stuff by their own feelings towards us, and we say, well, it bore witness with me. No, did God speak it before? Well, no, then it's not a secret in your heart. Come on, we're, we're men. The Bible says we are to quit living like mere men, rise up and be people of the covenant. Amen. Come on, hallelujah. I don't need some emotional statement to make me run my race or to encourage me. If I'm low on encouragement, I think I'll just pray in the Holy Ghost and edify myself. I think I'll speak to myself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I think I'll just bless God, get the ephod, pull myself away, and start talking to Jehovah and find out his plan for my tomorrow. I'm not going to be overcome and I'm not going to be manipulated by somebody or by something that bears witness with me when it hasn't been in there first. Remember the key. It has to be the secret of your heart. Ah, praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. All right. That's it. That's all we're going to talk about it.